Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Stafford County Christian Church. I uh, want to go over a couple of quick announcements with you before uh, we get into the message this morning. Uh, first and foremost, we just want to continue to say thank you for everything that you have given for Serve and all of the food that has come in. It has just been such a blessing uh, to serve and to the families that they're helping. Um, remember that you can continue to bring in those non-perishable items. You can drop them off throughout the week here at the church. We have the bin set up, um, and then that gets delivered, or you can take it directly to serve. So please make sure that you are always remembering that you can be a part um, of our serve food drive. Also, we're still in the uh, need of cleaning supplies. Uh, we need Clorox wipes. We need bleach itself, Clorox. Um, we're also in need of hand sanitizer that you can bring all of those different things in because we're looking forward to the day where we can have those in-person meetings and we want to uh, just stock up on that as a church. Now, some of you have asked about toilet paper. Right now, we're doing good. Um, so we still have plenty here um, and we're not going to run out uh, anytime soon, but uh, it doesn't mean that we have an extra supply for you to come and take it from us. But we do want to know uh, you to know that we need those different cleaning supplies. So please um, you know, feel free to bring those in during the office hours. Uh, Vacation Bible School, um, I'm sure that uh, you know by now that we are continuing to uh, look forward to our Vacation Bible School. It is going to be a month long and it will be during the month of August. So if you have any questions about um, our Vacation Bible School, I want you to message, uh, email, call, stop into the office, talk to Lisa, talk to Christy. They will help you through any of those items. And one of the big things that we're really looking forward to is that in-person meeting that we're going to have on July the 5th. So on July the 5th, we are going to be meeting during the 915 service here at the church. It's going to be an outdoor service. We encourage you uh, to bring your, your blanket, your lawn chair, whatever it is that you have that you would like to sit on, uh, and we're going to be in that grassy area outside. We do have a plan if it is raining that we will still meet on July the 5th in person here at the church, and we'll bring those details um, if it does look like the weather is going to be bad or anything, but um, we are going to meet. Rain or shine, we will be here at the church on July the 5th. Ray uh, Bacon is going to be providing uh, barbecue for us. Uh, it's going to be completely catered in, so you will be able to uh, have that. We will be sending out that uh, evite. Uh, hopefully you've already received that, but we'll be sending that again um, just to ask you how many people will be planning to attend uh, with you for that service. Also, we sent out um, a, a Google Doc, a Google Form, uh, asking you about in-person um, services. And if that is something uh, that you haven't had a chance to fill out yet, please do so because um, we are asking for you to give us some vital information of, of when you plan on returning, uh, what service you would plan on returning for, uh, um, and also for your children if, if you're planning to return and would you feel comfortable putting them into those classes. Um, also, I want you to know that whether it's July the 5th or whenever we go back to in-person meetings, um, we will continually have 
um, the streaming online service. So don't forget that that will continue no matter what. Um, I have one last thing, and this is really exciting for me uh, to be able to do. I have had several different people say, hey, Travis, we want to get together. We want to talk with you about membership. We want to talk to you about baptism. And, and uh, one of those couples is Jose and Misty. So I'm going to have them uh, come up here with me. And uh, they have been attending the church for um, quite some time. They've been teaching uh, the second hour Sunday school class as well. Um, so, uh, but, but they have never placed their membership with us. And so uh, we want to take that opportunity. Um, and I'm going to ask you at home that you will repeat. They can't hear you, um, but uh, we want to say this confession together. So uh, please repeat after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus, Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And my personal Lord and Savior. And my, my personal, personal Lord and Savior. Awesome. Awesome. So congratulations to them making that uh, commitment. Uh, and we're look, looking forward uh, to many more people that are, uh, are giving their life to Christ, that are making confessions, that are really doing some awesome things even in uh, the time that we're in. So at this, we will dig into the Word. So this morning, we're going to focus on how to pray with humility. Um, last week, we, we started our series by looking at how we have been called to pray, and we talked about the Lord's Prayer, and, and we, we dove into the Lord's Prayer and, and the fact that we don't just have to recite it. It's great to recite Scripture, but we don't have to say it word for word. And this morning, I want us to continue looking at how we have been called to pray, and this morning, how we have been called to pray with humility. Now, now most of us are, are pretty good at making excuses for our sins. We're, we're pretty good at being able to recognize others' failures, but are we really good at actually being able to confess our sins? We're quick to point out other people's mistakes, but we have a really hard time admitting it when we blow it. Here's some actual ex excerpts from insurance companies where individuals who had had accidents explained what went wrong. The other guy was all over the road and I actually had to swerve several times before I hit him. The telephone pole approached my car at a rapid speed. As I swerved to get out of its way, it hit me. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and then drove off the embankment. That was an actual one. I'm not uh, saying that towards any particular mother-in-laws that may or may not be watching this morning. As we begin this morning, let me ask you a very personal question. I want you to think about your prayer life right now. And on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your prayer life? If 1 were to be the lowest and 10 being the best, right there with Jesus, where would you find your personal walk with the Lord when it comes to prayer? What I want us to do is to look at six, six significant truths about having an effective 
prayer life. And what I want us to do is to look at the prophet Daniel. And when we look at Daniel and how he prayed and how it was effective in his life, I believe that they that there's some really great things that we look at Daniel chapter 9. The first one that we see is that we have been called to pray biblically. Let's look at Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 through 2. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, by descent of a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, I picture Daniel studying and and reading the scriptures. He had a copy of them with him. He had one of the the scrolls uh, from Jeremiah, and he's studying over these scriptures. And and at this point, Daniel was an older man. He, He was 90 years old at this time. He had been in Babylon for almost 70 years, and he had proven himself time and time again actually three times as the prime minister. He, he, here's what he was reading. He was reading Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 12. It says, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit, visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Daniel has been in captivity for 67 years He recognizes that his people, that it was three years away that they would be able to leave Babylon and to return to their homeland, to Jerusalem. He also realizes that the Israelites, they were not prepared. They were not spiritually ready to leave Babylon and to go home. So he is driven to his knees in prayer simply from reading and understanding the word of God. Although things looked humanly hopeless for Daniel, he was looking at the people. He realized that they weren't ready. It appeared impossible that the exile would ever end, that they were not ready, that that the, the, the captivity would never end. Jeremiah had a firm word from the Lord. I want you to think about your own life right now. Is there anything in your life right now, is there anything that you are facing that looks absolutely hopeless? Maybe you feel like everything that's going on in the world right now is just hopeless. Will we ever be able to go back to work? Will we ever be able to return to meeting in person at church? What what exactly is going to happen with everything and all of the circumstances that are going on in the world right now and we just look at our personal issues what's happening all around the world and we go it just seems hopeless if you feel that way i want you to know that you can stand on the promises of the word of god that he will always be there for you that is how we can pray biblically 
And, and, and here's, here's what I want us to understand. For us to be able to pray, for us to be able to pray with humility, we have to understand God's word. Now, I know that many of you have said, hey, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And because you're home and you're working from home, maybe you're ahead of your schedule right now because you have all the time, it seems like. And so you're just reading the Bible. You're taking that time that normally you would be commuting to work and you're digging into the Bible. And I say that that is awesome and that is great. And you're reading chapters and chapters a day. But what I would encourage you to do is not just to read several chapters a day. What I would encourage you to do is to do what Daniel did here and to meditate on God's word. To actually spend some time reading a passage of scripture, reading just a couple of verses and then really meditating on it and praying that back to the Lord, giving it back to him. You know, even though God announces what he is going to do in Jeremiah chapter 29, he also indicates very clearly that he will bring it about through prayer. As his people pray, he will accomplish what he is going to do through prayer. Prayer is so important that that God sometimes will even delay what he has in store until we start responding in prayer. Prayer is not a way to get God to work for us. That, that's what many of us think. We, we just go to him and we talked about that last week. Well, I'm gonna go to God and I'm, I'm gonna tell him how awesome he is. And then after I tell him how awesome is he is, I'm gonna tell him all of the things that I need in my life and that he's just going to go to work for me. But actually, it's not about getting God to work for us. It's his way of involving us in what he intends to do in our life. And so when we are truly open to that, we will be able to fully understand what God has in store for us in our lives. So let's look at this. Let's really dive in to the second significant truth, and that is to pray with humility. Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel takes off his beautiful robes. He takes off the jewelry that he may have had on because of his prestigious position as the prime minister there in Babylon. And he dresses himself in a simple gown of rough burlap. The term sackcloth is actually used 46 times in the Bible, and it was a a symbol of deep grief. It was that of being in mourning. And spreading ashes on the head, uh, on your head, was more of a statement of, of guilt, and it symbolized deep repentance. You see, when you're covered in ashes, you really don't feel very clean, do you? I don't know if you've ever been around a fire, but if you have that ash that lands on you, you just want to wipe it off. You want to get it off of you. You don't feel very clean. Something has been burnt. Something has been lost is what it symbolized. Basically, when you put on sackcloth and ashes, you aren't very comfortable. You don't feel very clean. It was an outward sign of an inner pain and agony that someone was going through. Fasting is another act of humility, and it enhances prayer. Fasting teaches us to say no. 
When our body is, is begging for food, when we take that time to fast and, and we're doing it for the right reasons to get right with God, when we're giving everything back to him, when those body pains, those hunger pains start to come on, that's when we go back to God. And, and we say no to that physicalness of our bodies. I want you also to notice that Daniel didn't do any of this on public display. This was something spiritual. This was something that was private. It was a private expression of his sincerity. D.L. Moody put it this way. He says, be humble or you'll stumble. Have you ever fasted? Have you ever put on ash, ashes on your head? Have you ever put sackcloth on? It makes us uncomfortable, putting us in a humble state of mind. The, the story is told of, of two ducks and a frog that were on a farmer's pond. And as the summer months went on, the, the pond slowly evaporated and, and it was left to just a little puddle and a bunch of mud. Now, this was no problem for the ducks because they could just fly off and find another place that they could land in the water. But the frog, he couldn't just fly away. So they devised a plan that the ducks would put a, a, a wooden stick in their mouth and the, the frog would put bite down onto it and, and they would fly off with the duck between them. And as they were flying off, the, the farmer looked up and he saw the two ducks with the, the frog between them. And the farmer said, wow, I wonder who came up with that. And with that, the frog opened his mouth and said, it was my idea. <laughs> That's probably pretty bad. Be careful of pride. Be careful of pride because it can cause you to fall. So pray with humility. Number three, pray with intensity. Verse three says, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. This is the same word in the Hebrew where Jacob wrestled with God back in Genesis chapter 32. And then we come to verse four and it says, I prayed to the Lord my God. Now the word, uh, the Hebrew word prayed is an emphatic imperative, emphatic imperative that denotes extreme intensity. So many of our prayers are just vain repetitions. That's what we talked about last week. And we need to be so, so careful with that, that we're just not repeating things over and over and over again. I think many of us, we could just lay our heads down. We could stand there and pray at the dinner table and we could just go, dear Lord, yada, yada, yada. Because it's just repetition over and over and over again. Daniel's prayer was filled with urgency. It was filled with fervency. 10 times he says something like, oh Lord, or oh my God. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says that when we are praying in the Spirit, that there are often groans that can't be uttered. Have you ever had that type of urgency when you prayed? You agonized in your prayer. So much so that you weren't really for sure what to say, but you knew that it was getting through. 
That's what we've been called to do. Pray with intensity. Number four, confess sins specifically. Confess your sins specifically. Daniel pours out his heart to God in verses four through five. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and have acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Daniel here, he doesn't make excuses. Instead, he admits that the nation of Israel has gotten exactly what it deserved. He, he doesn't blame anyone for their misery. He doesn't put it on one specific group of people. He doesn't put it on one specific person. Drop down to verse 13. We read, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entered the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. This is a prayer that is needed to be prayed in all of our churches throughout America today. We need to make sure that we are praying the way that Daniel is praying. You know, when you read Daniel's prayer, you'll notice that his confession is both personal and collective. He, he speaks about his sin, even though Scripture doesn't record anything that Daniel had done wrong. Nothing is recorded about Daniel sinning or, or having a, a problem, a sin problem. But yet he recognizes that he is part of the collective. He is a part of a community of sinners when he says in verse 5, We have sinned. He didn't say, oh Lord, look at them. They have sinned and you need to bring them back from their problems. Have you ever confessed sins for someone else? Knowing that you had your own, but you know it was easier to say, God, will you please forgive? And God, will you please take care of these people over here because they are the ones that are sinning. It is their fault that we are going through the problems that we're going through. What we need to do is make sure that we are specific and that we notice our guilt in the problems as well. You see, Daniel recognizes that he is part of a group that had been punished by God for their shared sins. While Daniel may have had not been personally, personally liable for the problem that they were in now that led to being in Babylon for 70 years, he still took responsibility. You know, we're much better at making excuses than confessing sin. Today, we live in a no-fault culture, don't we? It's a no-fault insurance, no-fault divorce. The mantra of our modern culture is, hey, it's not my fault. It's not my problem. And we've come up with some pretty cool ways of excusing our sins. We say, oh, I goofed up. You, we, we say, oh, I, I blew it. We, we talk about our mistakes. We talk about our weaknesses. You know what we call our weaknesses? God calls wickedness. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but who, 
but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Do you spend time regularly confessing your personal sins to Jesus? Or do you spend more time trying to cover them up? Daniel was not only willing to confess his sins, he was willing to repent. That is, he was willing to change his behavior. He realized that he was part of the problem and he lumped himself into it. A Sunday school teacher once asked her class what the word repentance meant. A little boy raised his hand and said, it is being sorry for sins. And a little girl raised her hand and she said, that's true, but it's also being sorry enough to quit. Are we willing to repent? Are we willing not just to be sorry that we have sinned because we've been caught? Are we willing to change our behavior? True confession always starts with the general. Then it leads to the specific. Notice what Daniel says in verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong. That's general, right? Then he gives some specific examples of how they had done this. He says, we have rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the the prophets. Drop down to verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. It's important to get detailed with God. It's important that we're not only willing to confess, but really get specific. Because in confession, you aren't just informing God uh, of your specific sins. You are agreeing with God about those things you have thought, done, and said. Daniel admits that the mess that they are in is their own fault. I really believe that one of our major hindrances to prayer is that some of us are angry with God. God, it's your fault that I'm in this position. If you would have answered my prayer so long ago, then I wouldn't be where I'm at now. You might not want to admit this, especially as you watch this message, but it may be something you feel deep inside. Maybe you feel like God's let you down. And we could go through all of the different ways that that you might think that, and right now you're maybe running some of those through in your own mind. How you feel some way or another that God has let you down. Not so with Daniel. You can't find a trace of anger towards God in this prayer. Daniel puts the blame where it belongs on himself and on his people. You see, denial is not just a river in Egypt. Some of you may be in trouble spiritually because you're floating down the river of denial. Be careful because that river flows into the open ocean of disaster. Be extremely careful. Be willing to admit your fault. Be willing to be personal with God. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring them to mind. Ask him to help you to remember how you have wronged God and others. And then ask for forgiveness through those. That is how we pray with humility. 
Number five, ask for God's glory. Notice verse 17. Daniel says that his prayer is for your sake. That's what he says. He says, for your sake. 19 different times in this prayer is is a reference made to God while man is referenced 11 times. So many of our prayers are focused on my needs, on my concerns. Daniel prayed this prayer for the return and the rebuilding of his, his nation And he died before these events were even fully implemented. We have no record that he ever returned to the Holy Land. You see, he wasn't praying for himself because he was praying for God's glory. He was giving God the glory. He wanted God to receive all of the glory. He never even got to see it. The Bible is full of humility. The healthy heart bows down in meekness and rises in praise and adoration. I've noticed an alarming trend in evangelical circles where we think of God as just being there for me. The fact is that we are here for him, and we need to remember that. Daniel's prayer then concludes with a crescendo of boldness as he pleads with the Lord to act. Look at verses 18 through 19. Daniel says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by you your name. Daniel's confession was the result of his deep sense of the majesty of God. It was displayed in his divine attributes. Back in verse 4, he calls God great and awesome. In verse 14, he refers to God as being righteous in all that he has done. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Could it be that one of the reasons that our prayers are so ineffective is because we're praying with the wrong motives? Try praying with God for, try praying for God's glory as your goal. Don't pray for your gain. Don't pray that you will receive something great. Oh Lord God, please help me win the lottery. And and, and I know that many of you, you're like, well, um, I pray that prayer because if I ever win the lottery, I'll give God 10% of it. Well, well, that's all great and good, but you get the other 90% of that. Pray for God's glory in every situation. And that is what we have been called to do. Because when you do so, when you pray not for your gain, you will watch God act in amazing ways. And number six, most importantly, in effective prayer, expect an answer. Expect an answer. 
Daniel received an answer to his prayer before he had even finished praying. While it doesn't always happen this way, many times when we pray, God answers before we even get off of our knees. knees. That's what happened here. Look at verses 20 through 21. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. That's fast. That's quick. You know, the, the, the speed of light travels at 186,000 miles per second. The prayers that we offer up to God are even quicker than the speed of light. I may have said sound a second ago, and I'm sorry if I did. The speed of light travels at 186,000 miles per second. God is faster than the speed of light. And we need to make sure that we see that. Before Daniel could even say amen, Gabriel was there with a response. Here's what we can take from that. God always answers our prayers. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. And sometimes he says, I want you to wait a little while. Uh, Hold on. Wait. In this exact moment, Daniel was given an immediate response. To summarize, this prayer begins with praise for who God is and for what he does. It then moves into confession, which leads to petition. Sounds a lot like the structure of the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? Friends, let's pray the same exact way. Let's begin with the awesome character of God, move in to confession, and then finish with our requests. How do we bring all this together? How do we apply this into our lives? I know many times I give you several action steps. I give you several ways that you can apply this. Today, there's only one that I really want to mention and drive home. God's people have messed up. We have sinned repeatedly. We have disobeyed. God's people had disobeyed. God's people had sinned. They had been led into captivity. Here's the application. God never forgot about them. That's what we have to hold on to. God never forgot about his people. He had a plan to bring them back. He had a plan to prosper them. He had hope for them. Even when it seemed like there was no hope, God had hope for his people. And that's what we have to hold on to as well. As we think about who Jesus is and what he has done for us, as we prepare to move into communion, I want you to think about this for just a second. This was 67 years in the making as we look here at what happens with Daniel and the Israelites at that exact moment. In three years, they would return to the promised land. But I want us to go all the way back to the very beginning. 
Because all the way at the very beginning, God had a plan. The moment that Adam and Eve sinned, there was a plan. The people of Israel, they didn't fully understand it. They didn't fully get it. It took many, many years for Jesus to actually come. Many of them missed the coming of Jesus. But Jesus did come. And Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He went to the cross for you. Jesus went to the cross for me. And so, as Christians, we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, every single Sunday. We take this time to remember what he did for us. We take the bread, we take the juice. We remember that his body was broken, was bruised, was pierced. His blood, the juice, it, it, it represents, the, the juice represents that blood that was sport, spilled out on Calvary. And so we take the bread and the juice and we remember that ultimate sacrifice. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you for the prayer of Daniel. We thank you that as we have dug into Daniel chapter 9 here today, that, that it will help us to remember what we have been called to do as well. To pray with humility. To confess our sins. To admit that we have messed up. Father, you sent your son who knew no sin, who didn't mess up, who hadn't sinned, and he chose to die in our place. We thank you so very much for that gift. We thank you for what he did for our sins. And so we take the bread that represents his body. We take the juice that represents his blood. And we remember that sacrifice here today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.